So I thought it would be really nice to start with a very short poem and, uh, by Mary Oliver that's a wonderfully matter-of-fact poem, like she's just noting things as they happen. Even the title is, The Poet Compares Human Nature to the Ocean from Which We Came. So she's just noting it. The sea can do craziness. It can do smooth. It can lie down like silk breathing or toss havoc shortward. It can give gifts or withhold it all. It can rise, ebb, froth like an incoming frenzy of fountains, or it can sweet talk as I can too. And so, no doubt, can you and you. And I found that like such good medicine to remember. Because on any given day, if you're anything like me, I was, I was taking a walk this morning and it was already hot. Not hot by Nevada standards or Arizona standards or California standards. We have these folks in the room, but definitely hot by Scottish standards. And so it's hot and muggy and I'm walking and I'm thinking about something I said a couple of days ago and I couldn't help but have the reflection, boy, that was dark. That was dark. And I concluded in this humid heat of the day, you know what? I'm really a dark person. <laughs> you know, I, I must admit it. And I'm dark. And, and then I continued to walk and I hit the shade. And I looked out across the water. I was walking around a little lake and an ease came and I thought, maybe I'm not so bad. Maybe I'm not so bad. And I, I couldn't help but appreciate again, the gift of this idea of impermanence, impermanence, that we're not just one thing. And we're not just our deepest and darkest feeling. And so I wanted to tell you a little story, very short, and maybe not even a story, a summary of one of what I think are the great works of literature, which is Where the Wild Things Are by Maurice Sendak. And I looked at it again today with fresh appreciation because I always see something new in this great book. And as most of us know, it starts with a person who could be like you or me. And his name happens to be Max and he's wearing a wolf suit. He's in his wild mode. And he feels wilder and darker and more savage than anybody else around him. His secret and truest feelings. 
And as he begins to own this about himself, he feels a forest and sees a forest grow up around him. He, this is who he really is. He's definitely different than others. And a ship comes as if in agreement and transports him to a separate island full of wild beasts like him, where he becomes the king of the beasts. We remember that, the immortal words, let the wild rumpus begin. He gives himself completely to this wildness, this darkness. And then he begins to feel a little bit lonely and a little bit hungry. And this impulse or this longing appears to return. And, and so the ship comes and he ends up in his bedroom and there is his dinner and it's still hot. No time has passed. No time has passed. And I love this book because it, it so perfectly captures for me what it can be like to come to that conclusion, oh, I'm dark, or oh, this is sad, or oh, this is the deepest and truest thing in me. And then there's that impulse to come back, to come back to the present, just to open, to be part of it, to be present and not fixed, to be in alignment with an attention in ourselves, not our feelings as we think of them, not our emotions, but this attention that sees, at least at moments. And so I wanted to um, emphasize to you how small the effort is that we really make here. There is, or privately, it's not just here, there is in us at moments, just like Max with his pang of loneliness, um, um, wish to be present, uh, to leave the self-enclosed world of our thinking, to be present. Now, we have that impulse, and an instant later, I always say moment, maybe I should say instant, an instant later, something in us begins to observe and critique our process. How am I doing? How well am I doing? And the minute this process begins, everything begins to be colored with a certain kind of emotional reaction. Oh, I'm doing well, or oh, I'm not doing well, or this always happens, I always live. And this is where it's something interesting and maybe something a little bit new for me to say. 
that this seeing can begin to include that these emotional reactions, this commentary, this judgment, this coloring, what the Buddhist would call mind states, is not our real feeling. And that can sound horribly unscientific and just not right. But we have within us a capacity to feel love, not in the sense of romantic love or attachment, but a feeling that we wish to serve. This is what characterizes us. At certain moments, all we want to do is to be in alignment with it, to be open to it. Just for a moment, we feel safe enough and open enough to be in alignment with love with compassion. And it passes so fleetingly. And sometimes we know it just by words that they're never going to carve on a temple wall. Words like, would you like a glass of water? Would anybody like a potato? Some small impulse of kindness, of simple kindness, of leaving the world of yourself and your thoughts for a moment. And this is a practice for slowly beginning to acknowledge more and more that this movement of return, this capacity and wish to be present is in you. And it's just as real, more real than the emotions that we're so used to claiming as ourselves. That we're more, we're also an attention and a presence that sees and responds. And uh, there was a, a guru who said, wisdom says I'm nothing. Love says I'm everything. Between these two streams, my life flows. We're more than our discursive minds. We're more than our analysis. We're more than our mind states. We're also beings that can open to the heart of a love that can hold everything that comes with compassion and mercy. So let's sit together, just Take a comfortable seat and see what comfortable feels like for you today. 
and let instead of focusing on posture just focus on giving yourself an attention that's kind that's accepting And notice that this attention can begin to soften the tense places. And the tense places might not be places that hurt. They might be places where you feel nothing. Just now. And notice the action of attention itself. Of an attention that is accepting and kind. And notice that thinking happens and that this is completely natural, as natural as breathing. And when you see that you're taken, gently come home again to sensation and presence. Remembering that you're sitting with other people who share the same wish to be present. To be free.
free to be. Noticing that this presence inside you that includes the body and the heart and the mind sees and also nurtures, feeds, supports. Rest in presence. Even your edges, your impatience, your anxiousness, let everything rest in presence.
noticing that stillness communicates. When you get distracted, just come back again to the body and sensation and presence. giving yourself to presence just like this.
joy and terror. Just keep going. No feeling is final.
noticing that you can come back anytime to the body and sensation and a presence that's kind. Open. Seeing that there's an awareness inside that doesn't grasp.
thank you for sharing your practice, your presence. And if you have observations or questions about this practice, we'd love to hear them. It's wonderful to hear your voices. And you don't have to wait to be called on. Just please speak. Hi, Grace. It's Martha. Hi, Martha. Hi. Hi. So, uh, hi. I have a question um, about uh, just the practice of applying the practice in a situation where you feel like you're going to do something good for someone. So it's love. You think it's love, but it ends up being something that harms you. <laughs> like I, I moved my aunt because the nurse wasn't coming and I hurt my back really bad. And so... I'm a little more able through the practice to stop myself when it's a negative thing, but when it's something like that I misinterpret as compassion or helping, I'm a little less able to distinguish. So what do you think? Uh, well, it's, I think it's something we can all relate to. And um, uh, this, uh, I had a teacher named Gallic Rinpoche, who was known to the Dalai Lama, and he was like, he was very jolly and funny, um, but also a very great Tibetan Buddhist teacher. And he used to say that it's really important to learn the difference between idiot compassion and real compassion. And I, I'm, of course, you understand, I'm not calling you an idiot. He was calling all of us idiots, but that we began to see in this practice of seeing, of seeing that we have an impulse to do something kind, and we hurt ourselves, and that growing in our seeing and in our practice means including compassion for ourselves. And it doesn't mean don't continue to open your heart and see what you can do. But if you don't include yourself in the sphere of your compassion, somebody's going to get hurt, as you saw. And I hope you feel better soon. And it's like it, it, it's like anything else, Martha. We find the, we discover these things as we go through them. Far more than anything I can say to you. You've, you've learned something, you've glimpsed and felt something. That you saw yourself in action in a certain way. And something happened. And then you begin to reflect and kind of contemplate, what would it be like if I was a little bit more present for myself too? Does that make sense? And so, yes, yes, it does. <laughs> it's like, it's, um, and it doesn't mean don't do, it doesn't mean like hang back, 
but I I was always so touched um, in this part of the Buddha story where he's terrified and he's he's got to do something because he's confronting a fearful demon and he touches the earth which you know he's coming back to his body to presence to sensation uh, into this care this alignment with himself which you know is a yogi and also also like kind of collecting his full force and he says to Mara you don't know the size of my army. The truth is my army and love. And, you know, he, he's remembering himself, his full self, so he can see how to most effectively deal with the situation in a caring way. So the first thing to be done, and I used to have a student who went out to Sandy Rock. The, the first thing to be done is to collect yourself, to touch the earth, to be fully present. And then we begin to see what can be done, what we can do that won't hurt us. So I hope you're taking really good care of yourself, Martha. Thank you. I have to now. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Tracy. That helps. Yeah. Thank you. I have a question, Tracy. It's Lisa. Um, okay. I'm. I'm wondering, I feel like I had an understanding of this and I've heard you say it many times, but maybe I'm understanding it less today or something. But um, you said during the practice, I'm not sure I'm gonna say it exactly the way you said it, but um, that everything, let everything be part of the awareness of presence, even the sticky places or the sharp places or something like that. Am I sort of right how you said that? Um, and I, I noticed in that moment, like a softening of myself, um, but I also felt confused by it. Um, and I just wondered if you could elaborate on that. Uh, yeah, it's um, that's a good question too, because um, it feels like it can feel like I'm proposing that anything goes, and um, it, uh, I'm not. It's um, uh, the, it's so it's such a beautiful practice to realize that anything can be met by awareness anything can be seen so that that's why I want to use the example of like a moment of kind of cringing in myself and having said something and rushing in with a judgment that was dark that and that that too can be seen we're so kind of conditioned and habituated to push away to instantly judge this is a part 
from practice. This is going in another direction. Being triggered is going in another direction or being in the grip of some vanity or something is going in the wrong direction and we want to come back to the right direction. But there's something about um, that can really be glimpsed in a moment that this awareness is actually like ambient light, this beautiful, soft ambient light that can actually see you in the grip of being triggered or cringing about the dark thing. And that, um, so the effort is to really soften into that. Like in, in um, Myanmar, in what used to be Burma, they would have all, at least one master I read, where they would, he would list all the different ways he'd refer to mindfulness, like to describe it. What is it? And one of the more interesting ones is peripheral vision. It's not the straight ahead focus, but it's that soft side focus. And so it's something that opens outward like this, or better, something and because also you're yogi too, to just think of it in terms of letting your center of gravity sink into, so this is bodyfulness. So that you're, you're and, and Martha, you too, and all of us really, so that, so you know what it's like to come back to sensation of the body. And, and you're letting yourself begin to understand that you can see from there, that the seeing or this receiving can come from a lower, it feels like a lower place. So that what we begin, what we can see begins to grow. So that, and so that we can, our, our, our progress isn't like a narrow, straight ahead charge, so that we're very positive and no more negative. Instead of that, it's this, this growth where we can stay with conflict without just, and again, think in terms of instance. I can stay in instant more, or like with the example that Martha brought, instead of like spiraling into a judgment, why did I do that? To stay with how it feels right now. And do you see what I mean? So it's like, so a lot of times when we sit with a burst of impatience will come up or a little wave of anxiety. And our conditioning is to not have that or to come back to the breath or do something. And I'm inviting you to see that that too can be seen. And trust. Trust that you are not just your up here, but there's a, a, a heart brain, a body brain, a sensation brain, and this ambient seeing. So 
does that help? Yes, that helps a lot. Thank you so much. Yeah. And a good way for us to practice with it is, and it's really quite remarkable that Mary Oliver was not a Buddhist and neither was Rilkar as far as I know, but his phrase about no feeling is final, just keep going, is a wonderful tool for practice in life. Because you can, we can, we cannot just one of us, but all of us see how often we tend to freeze and stop. Like, oh, that's just so not, not going in the right direction. But to see that, that things really do change and that this seeing or this impulse to be present again just like Max in the wild things wanting to come back for dinner. It, it comes back. It comes back. We may have completely damned ourselves. That's it. And, and, the, and there's this friendly impulse to be present comes back. Until we finally really begin to accept that that is also us or more us. Um, I would just like to say that that, I think is helping me figure out what I was kind of like struggling with. During the meditation, I could feel so much compassion for myself and so much kindness with this idea I've been struggling with of, you know, where my feelings of impatience or unworthiness or shame come from. I mean, I kind of know the root and yet figuring out or trying to release myself from the root cause to my feelings now just seems to send me in circles. And I was just thinking, okay, I can do the compassion. I can truly feel it. But is it going to get me to the place where I don't have to do it anymore, <laughs> where I can just be happy and okay? And I think, and I'm realizing, as you say, that that's just not really the question. Because actually to be in a place of deep compassion for yourself is really not being in a place of shame and unworthiness, really. It's, I don't know, maybe it's a scale and the compassion ends up weighing out. <laughs> the shame but it feels like it's a better question and plus Rilke again the, the phrase of you know um, be patient with all that's unsettled in your heart and learn to love the questions themselves yeah so much kinder than can you just fix this now <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and also just to um, find yourself completely and unconditionally lovable, even if you're not feeling it in this completely unfinished state. So that even if you never get to the root, you are completely lovable just like this. The way you would, you would extend that to a beloved 
that you know you they they're visibly imperfect and yet something in you at least in moments can love them just like that and um it, so it's like that. And again, just instance. And when that, in, including that impulse, can I get to the root of it already? That impulse and being completely okay with that. And not okay doesn't mean, you know, giving up. I mean, in a certain sense, it does. It means just opening and being with it. We're here to completely see ourselves as we are, because then we begin to see that we're also so much more. And it's okay not to buy it. And it's okay, as in fact, Douglas, I have to share that when I sent the Rilke quote um, uh, today, uh, let everything happen to you, beauty and terror, just keep going, no feelings final. Douglas sent this little clip from Nashville where Henry Gibson is singing in the spangled suit. He's on stage in the Grand Old Opera or someplace singing, just keep it going. <laughs> and it's got these lyrics like, if, if your crop is completely destroyed by locusts, just keep it going. And, you know, it can sound like, um, it, it can sound, you know, silly or, okay, that's okay for them. But this really is a practice of meeting yourself, your own true capacity, not just to have compassion, but to understand, which in this practice, the root of it means to be right in the midst of, not transcendent or apart, but right in the thick of it, the, the feeling of contradiction or discomfort or I, I'm, I'm done. I want this to be over already, to be to the root and free and to be right in the thick of all those sensations and feelings and thoughts and still have an instant, an instant of just being present with because those instants will grow, they'll grow. You see, I just have a question building on what Martha said about when you're asked to do something, but in what if what you're tasked to do is morally imperative? So you have to do this. Um, I, you know, my work, I've been tasked with being a social justice advocate in addition to my work. And it's very difficult because when a person comes forth with accumulated pain and having felt unseen, first you have to sort of hold that presence for the person. But then when you do work to bring that to light with people who whose intentions were not to do that thing and then you find that you're operating you're trying to operate in a world of healing 
but people are defaulting to a binary world of good and bad, as opposed to the complexities that we address in practice. So how do we, how do we um, take those moral stances, but also protect ourselves so we're not carrying the collective suffering of everyone? Well, the, it, it's crucial to um, cultivate real presence, you know, body, heart, mind, to touch the earth. And because to be reactive, to get triggered, isn't necessarily going to help anybody. And, you know, it happens. We all do. I certainly do. But it makes a huge difference. I can just tell you anecdotally that when I worked with the student who was preparing to go to Standing Rock and make a stand, it was the preparation was really being present, touching the earth, having sensation, being self-compassionate, including when you do the right thing, you hurt yourself and just making space. So all this work. And when he came back from Standing Rock, he said, Tracy, I, I found something really useful to do. And it wasn't what he expected. You know, he ended up helping people get mittens and sweaters and warm. But we do this work of, of becoming present so we can do good and it it doesn't it really doesn't help i mean you can begin to see even now the need for a i bet to be present to be grounded to be spacious because to get caught up in um you know, what Buddha called the thicket of views and opinions just to get caught up and reactive isn't going to heal. Does that help? So this practice is something very practical, but do it first, even if it's just three conscious breaths before you take action or speak to who you need to speak to. And it also will prepare you to listen to the person you're trying to help, to listen deeply. So you can begin to understand not what you think you should do, but what they really need. It's a big subject. We we need to become more whole. And also, just to finish by saying, we often think it's great big things we need to do, but often small things. Just listening, being willing to be with someone who's suffering, taking stock of a situation, not as we would, but as they do.
have just as we go to close i it strikes me that i've almost never regretted being present in a situation and i have often regretted the opposite being righteous and it might have seemed so powerful and eloquent at the time so i i encourage you to touch the earth and take your army with you your army of truth compassion So let's sit one last moment. With gratitude for our practice. And for each other, for the Sangha. And for all the helpers in the world. And we put two hands together in our heart space and we dedicate our practice, not just for ourselves alone, but for all beings everywhere, always including ourselves. May all beings be safe and protected from harm and danger and injustice. May all beings, including ourselves, be seen be as well as they can be, be truly happy and at ease and entirely free to be. Thank you. Thank you all so much for your practice and your presence and everything. Your great hearts. Bye bye. Take good care. Everyone, Take, thanks for Bye bye.